Mic check, one, two, one, two, back live. Another solo podcast, Planet of the Apes podcast coming at you. Uh, this is going to be just a, a Q&A session. I got questions in my DMs, questions on my Instagram stickers, so we got a ton of questions to go through. We're just going to jump into it. They don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. I just picked a few questions, and we're going we're gonna to answer them and get through this here. So let's jump into it. First question, uh, what does in-season training look like for your football players? I want to talk, let's talk level threes. Here, I, I want to talk the higher level guys uh, that I work with. So before we get into the in-season training, let's talk quickly about the off-season training so we're understanding what the variation is. Uh, so in the off-season, my athletes have four main training sessions a day. They have two dynamic effort days, one upper body, one lower body, two max effort days, one upper body, one lower body. Uh, those make up the, the four main training days. And then we have two training days that they'll do. They could do it at my gym or they can do it at a gym closer to home if they're in Edmonton, whatever. But those are our connective tissue days. Uh, so those are just really high rep band work, quick workouts. They take about 20, 25 minutes to get through. Um, so we have those six workouts throughout the week that athletes will do at the gym, at least four of them that they'll do at the gym uh, with me. Uh, and then the two connective tissue days. And then on top of that, I want my athletes to get an additional 21 workouts in per week. Now that sounds crazy to a lot of people, 21 workouts. That's a lot. Um, it really, it comes down to how we define a workout. To me, a workout obviously can be lifting weights. It can be, you know, running around cones, hitting the agility ladder, um, on-field work, you know, anything that's really physical and, and demanding is obviously a training session. Uh, but let's look at some other things that could be training sessions too, right? You have like chiropractic adjustments, um, massage, uh, like a mobility session, and, and a self-myofascial release session. Um, what else do we have? Like saunas, uh, contrast tubs, stuff like that. Uh, could also be included as training sessions. And I think that's a really important uh, factor to understand because when I tell my athletes I'm looking for 27 workouts a week, I don't necessarily mean we're lifting heavy 27 times, uh, but I want them to get active and do something and stay active throughout the week. So we try to get about 27 workouts in a week. Uh, that obviously that drops drastically in the off season. Um, we're down to three, or sorry, in season. Uh, we're down to three workouts a week when we're in season. We have our two dynamic effort days. We drop the max effort work. Uh, and we have one recovery day. Generally speaking, I like to do uh, the dynamic bench early in the week, usually Monday, maybe Tuesday, uh, and then squat kind of midweek, probably Wednesday uh, for squats, and then do our, our mo either mobility or a recovery day uh, before the game, the day before the game. Um, if it's just mobility work, then the athlete kind of has the, the full reign of what they want to do. They just get in the gym and, and you know grab a roller, a band, the crossball, and just start working on stuff that's bugging them. We also have uh, what we call performance reset day, something that I kind of developed from uh, from Dr. John Russin and his presentation at Swiss Symposium this year. So our performance reset day is a lot more structured uh, than if an athlete comes in just for mobility work because everything's laid out for them what they're going to do and it's it's less about mobilizing tissue with this. It's more about moving them from a sympathetic to parasympathetic state, uh, kind of helping them relax. Uh, and, and just come down from whether it's the week of training or the week of practice or whatever it may be. Just help them get into that relaxed state. Uh, so the first thing this starts with is just some light, mindful uh, foam rolling. And if, you're, if you've ever been to my gym, you know that we never use foam rollers. It's always a uh, trigger roller, you know, chunk ABS pipe, lacrosse ball, something stiff, something hard that we can actually get into the tissue with and make a change because I don't necessarily think foam rollers will do that. Uh, I think foam rollers are great for like if grandma gets out of hip surgery and has to roll out her quads or, you know, kids like to use them and pretend they're surfboards. Uh, they're great props for body tempering. But other than that, we've never really used foam rollers in my gym until uh, John Russin introduced me to this idea of performance reset. 
uh, where it's less about mobilizing again, just kind of getting them into that parasympathetic state. So we want to keep this foam rolling really light. Uh, we're going to go over all the major body parts. So we hit the glutes, the hamstrings, the quads, lats, pecs, uh, two minutes for all that. After the light mindful uh, foam rolling, we're into biphasic stretching. Uh, so essentially, that's a, that's a really fancy way to, uh, to classify this. Basically, what you're doing is a two-minute stretch, uh, one minute of which is going to be just a static stretch held at end range, and the other, the next minute is going to be oscillatory stretching, so just kind of exploring the capsule, uh, exploring the joint, whatever, whatever it is you're trying to stretch, and just moving around through that. Uh, not just being static and, and, and holding still through that. Uh, and again, we hit glutes, hamstrings, quads, lats, pecs, whatever exercise you want to do for that. I have mine that are laid out, um, but you can just any exercise or, or stretch that'll get into those, those areas. Uh, after that, after the biphasic stretching, we do our light cars routine. So generally when we're warming up for a workout with our cars, we're going to radiate uh, 20 to 30% throughout the entire body with these light cars, 10%, maybe, you know, 5%, um, really, really light and really just more about moving the joint. I know my, my FRC guys and girls out there are going to hate that I say that. Uh, it's almost, I don't even know if you can call it cars. It's just something that the athletes in my gym know. Uh, so we, so I put that there, but it's not really, it's not the truest definition of cars. If Zach was here right now, he'd kill me for, for even mentioning it. Uh, after that, we hit some list endurance training, low uh, low intensity, sustained state endurance training. So I like a one mile walk for that, just a nice light one mile. It actually just so happens in the summer, the, the road the gym is on loops around and it's exactly a one mile walk. Uh, so we'll just send an athlete for a walk, it takes about, I don't know, eight minutes to walk a mile. Uh, after the list training, then we're into our parasympathetic positional breathing. So we do box breathing, four seconds in, four second hold, four second out. Uh, four second hold and repeat that for five minutes and then that's it that's the end of our uh, performance uh, reset day so two uh two days to get back to the original question what in season training our dynamic effort day uh upper body our dyna dynamic effort day lower body uh and then a mobility or performance reset day and that's really all the all the training that i have my athletes do in season because they're practicing because they're playing because they're traveling um there's there's a lot on their plate already and I think what we do as strength coaches needs needs to complement that and not compete with it, right? Our as a strength coach, my in season, quote unquote, is the off season. That's when I can get my work in with the athletes. That's when I can push them. When we're in season, it's really about maintaining and we never want to lose what we have, but we're definitely not going to gain at, at as fast a rate as we would with the off season training. So if we can come away with just maintaining, I'm happy with that. If we can take a small step forward, I'm, I'm more than happy with that. Uh, the big thing is just don't go backwards with the in-season training. All right, next question. Uh, suggestions on squat variations for someone who previously rehabbed a bulging disc. Um, so that's a pretty, it's a vague question. I don't know if you mean it's healthy now, but you bulged it in the past, or if you just bulged and you're coming back from it. Uh, let's let's approach this from the standpoint that you bulged your disc, the injury occurred, you, you saw a doctor, physio, all that good stuff, and you're cleared to get back to training. Um, because really that's, if, if we're talking about scope of practice, that's where I come in. Anything before that is outside of my scope. I can't diagnose. I can't rehabilitate something uh, as severe as, as a bulge disc. That takes a specialist. Um, so let's pretend like you, uh, you you bulged it, you had it treated, now you're ready and cleared to get back to lifting, so you come see me. All right, so the first thing we're going to do, we're gonna I'm going to teach you some spine-sparing techniques, right? Simple things that you can do in your daily life and around the gym that are gonna save you a lot of flexion extension cycles through the spine. Uh, one thing we need to keep in mind, and uh, Stuart McGill, Dr. Stuart McGill talks about this a lot, uh, 
think about the spine as as a, a credit card, right? If you were to take a credit card right now in your hands and you bent it all the way so that two ends touched and then bent it the other way, it would come back, it'd be straight, uh, but there'd be a little white line in the middle of the card, right? And if you kept bending it like that and kept bending it and bending it, eventually that card is just going to snap in half. Um, and that's, your, your spine is essentially the same way, although it's kind of a, a brutal visual, your spine doesn't snap in half. Um, but you have a limited number of flexion extension cycles in your lifetime to go through. Uh, and there's no set, you know, it's 10,000 repetitions. Everyone is different. And that's why we see athletes, especially like strength athletes, like the strongest man in the world has the potential to go through a lot more flexion extension cycles under load than the average person. That's why they survive strongman training to become the strongest in the world. And most people fail. Uh, it's just, it's a matter of genetics and it's, it's going to be different for everyone, but everyone has that X number. And some, like I said, some may never reach in their life. Some may reach it by the time they're 20. Um, but we, the point being, we don't want to waste these flexion extension cycles doing stupid shit, like bending down to pick up that 10 pound plate to put it on the bar. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that your spine should never bend and you, you can't have any mobility. Absolutely. We need to, uh, we need to be moving the spine, uh, and, and, and keeping it healthy through movement. Um, but especially coming back from a back injury, there's certain things that you can do. Uh, we call spine sparing techniques or, or McGill calls them spine sparing techniques, uh, just to kind of help ease that transition back into training. So things like instead of bending down to pick up a plate, maybe you lunge down uh, to pick up the plate. You know what I mean? So just just really simple spine sparing techniques like that. Uh, next up, we're going to teach you, I'm going to teach you how to warm up properly uh, and, and show you some low level trunk activation stuff. So at the start of every workout, my athletes do what's called the McGill Big Three. Uh, it's a bird dog, uh, McGill curl ups and side planks. And so the way that I've, I program these for my athletes, we pyramid uh, each exercise or the, or the, the bird dogs and the curl ups, I should say, are, are pyramid sets. So we'll go from one rep on each side, uh, up to four reps, back down to one. And then for the side plank, just four 10 second holds on each side. Um, but low level activation stuff like that pre-workout, just to make sure that your trunk is switched on and protecting your lower back uh, is going to go a long way uh, in, in staying injury free through your lifting uh, or training career. Um, so I'm going to, I would teach you how to use those activation exercises, but also probably the first few months at least that you're with me would be low level trunk activation stuff and just connective tissue band work. Um, really trying to build those lower levels of strength. One thing that I had happen in my powerlifting career, probably, I want to say like four or five years into it. I was, you know, at the time I was probably seven, 800 pound squatter. Uh, but I took 135 in a warm up and tweaked my back somehow. You know, I just, I sat on the box back rounded, and I've really I'm, I'm lower back has been injured early in my career from poor technique. So it's really it's kind of playing with fire every time I squat. I, I tweak it a lot, um, but this was a bad tweak, and it was only 135 pounds. So I went to see my boy Jeff at back on track, get it fixed like he always does. Um, and I, I asked him, I'm like, man, I'm like I'm an 800 pound squatter. How did I get hurt under 135 pounds? Uh, and basically. It came down to the fact that like I can activate or at that time I could activate my trunk to protect my back at really high intense levels like when it was full fucking throttle you know I could be tight but I wasn't great at being tight under lighter weight I didn't have that low level activation right so I was at, I was literally at risk squatting 135 pounds it was more dangerous for me to do that than squat 800 uh, because I knew how to be tight under ultra high you know 90 plus percent weights wasn't good at getting tight under the lighter weights and so hurt my back with a lightweight. So that low level trunk activation stuff is going to be key for you. 
Uh, once we get that stronger, then we're going to break down your squat technique. We're going to take a look at your stance, make sure you're, you're squatting optimally for your uh, biomechanics. Uh, and from there, with the, with the technique work that we do we, with just an empty bar, uh, we're going to identify mobility issues that you have, probably through your hips, maybe through your ankles. Again, this is all going to depend on the technique that we're using when you're squatting, whether you're a close, medium, or wide stance, you know, hands in or out, whatever. It, it, it'll all depend, and there's so many factors that at this point it, it becomes too much to kind of cover. But that would be that'd be the progression I take you through. We would I would teach you spine sparing techniques. We do low level trunk activation and strengthen you at the lower levels, um, and then we would look at your technique and find mobility issues from there. And then slowly building through that, we would rebuild your squat. So I think the, the question being, you know, what's the best variation, squat variation for someone with a previously bulged disc, I think we're kind of, we're barking up the wrong tree and we're going to hit the bullseye on the wrong dartboard uh, with that type of question. It's not about the variation. Coming back from an injury, you should be able to do every type of squat. You should, you know, front squat, back squat, goblet squat, cambered bar, safety bar, duffalo bar, uh, and any, any type of squat, there's going to be some that will be more comfortable. There's going to be some that'll be safer. There's going to be some that you may never want to go heavy with. Um, but you should still be able to, at least with an empty bar, get into these different types, these different archetypes. You know what I mean? Um, we shouldn't just say, well, you have a bulge disc, so you should only be doing cambered bar box squats. You know, that may be true for the initial uh, comeback phase, but like eventually we need to get you back under a safety bar. We need to get you back front squatting. We need to get you back to goblet squatting. Um, all these all these different movement patterns. I, I never want to just narrow it down to one exercise and say this is the exercise. Uh, it's more about just adjusting technique and teaching you to lift properly, I think. Oh, and uh, one, one more thing I want to touch on uh, with this question or as it pertains to this question is uh, squat depth. I would have you squat as deep as you can with a neutral spine and I really don't give a fuck if that's four inches above parallel if it's at parallel or four inches below parallel uh, I see a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches forcing athletes to depth uh, and, and rounding their back in the bottom of the squat and I just don't see the fucking point in it you know depth is a is a illusionary standard creating for created for one specific sport and that's powerlifting other than that there's no there's no fucking point to depth right squat to where you can squat to if it's a high squat, then mobilize tissues and work to get down to a parallel squat or a slightly below parallel squat. But football players don't get extra points for bouncing their asshole off the ground in a squat. You know what I mean? Don't force depth. Stay neutral throughout. All right, next question. What are the best exercises to help repair and strengthen AC joints? So as soon as you use a word like repair, now I have to, I have to throw my hands up and tell you this is beyond my scope. Um, again, you got to see a professional, someone with a lot more letters after their name than I have uh, to get that repaired, uh, get healthy, and then get cleared to get back to lifting. Um, but again, for, for the purpose of this question, and so I have something to answer, let's pretend like you did that. You had the AC joint injury. Uh, you saw your physio, did the work. You're cleared to get back to lifting. So now what are we going to do uh, to strengthen it and to, to mitigate this as much as we can? Uh, and it's the answer is really, really, really simple. Every football player that I train comes to me with shoulder pain, they can't press overhead, they can't do this, they can't do that. Um, and what we do is get their upper back stronger, and within three to four months, shoulder pain gone. This was true with Dex, this was true with Mike, this was true with Leo, uh, it's true with Mandela right now, he's about two months, maybe a month and a half into training, and it's subsided greatly. You know, he's almost completely pain-free through the shoulder, and all we did was get the upper back stronger. Um, and so how do we do this? If, if you're, like for the purpose of this question, you're just coming back from the injury, 
you need to be training your upper back every single day. So grab a light band and do a hundred pull aparts a day. <coughs> Excuse me, a hundred pull aparts a day. Uh, switch your grip, right? So you have your your pronated grip, your supinated grip. Uh, you can do like angled pull aparts where you know your your top hand is supinated, your bottom hand is pronated, and you're pulling apart at about a forty five degree angle. Um, you can do 3D pull-aparts where you tie it off the top of a squat rack, kneel down, pull the band to shoulder height, and do your, your pull-aparts like that without letting the band pull you back up. Um, face pulls, just anything to get into that upper back. Really high rep work uh, with, with a light band, 1 to 200 reps a day. Um, do that for 2 to 3 months and, and just watch the vast majority of your shoulder dysfunction and shoulder pain disappear. Um, for whatever reason... Football players are incredibly weak through their upper back and through their necks. Um, I think just addressing this, I, it, it gets rid of shoulder pain. I wish I had a more scientific-based reason for why it does. I don't really know. I don't really give a fuck. I just know that a stronger upper back means less shoulder pain, so we train the upper back, right? And that's what, that's what you really need to be doing uh, to help with any type of shoulder issue you have. Uh, as long as you're cleared by, you know, your physio or your doctor, if, if we're talking, you know, post-AC joint injury to get back to lifting. Get the upper back strong and stop neglecting it, right? Stop training the mirrors or the, or the muscles, sorry, that you can see in the mirror and start training everything else. All right, I think we've got time for one more question here. So, um, I have this bad pain in my patella tendon. The pain is like underneath and in the actual tendon. I think you mean underneath the kneecap, I'm going to assume. And in the actual tendon, when I squat and run and deadlift and do leg stuff, it hurts a lot. I do stretches, but nothing seems to help it. I was wondering if you have any suggestions. When I play football, it also hurts. Okay. Again, super common uh, pain in the patella tendon. Really, all this is, in my experience, and, and again, this is another common thing with football players. They come in, their knees hurt when they squat, they jump, they run. Uh, it's, it's generally because your quads are super fucking tight. So the really, really simple answer, I mean, this is, this, don't take this lightly. If you're having pain in your patella tendons and your knees, go see, you know, a sports chiro, go see a physio, go see someone that can really get hands on and help you through this. Because when that patella tendon goes, it is fucking devastating. You know, if you're lucky enough to be a, a div one athlete at a good school or a pro athlete, you know, they'll, they'll rebuild that tendon so you can play again. But if you're just a high school kid, a junior high kid, you know, or just someone who's, who's playing a, a sport they enjoy, uh, take care of this because when that motherfucker goes, that's the end of your playing career. You know, if you're, if you're just average, not even average Joe, if you're just an athlete who doesn't have, you know, the resources to rehab this properly, take care of this because the best way to rehab a ruptured patella tendon is to not rupture your patella tendon. Um, this is, you know, consider this like the, the check engine light, right? Get your fucking car checked before the engine blows up. You know what I mean? Um, but generally speaking, something you could do right now to help alleviate this pain is just get on a roller, not a foam roller, like I talked about earlier, something stiff, something hard, chunk of ABS pipe. Uh, just roll your quads out, two minutes per side, find tight spots, hang out there, work against the grain of the muscle, um, but really try to make a, a change in that quad tissue uh, and see if see if that opens up. Uh, could also, you get into the calves, the hamstrings and stuff, but really, really hammer the quads uh, and see if that helps open up the knees a bit uh, and, and alleviate that pain. And then definitely get in to see someone who's really smart that could help you with that. All right, so that's about it for the uh, for the questions today. Let's get into this uh, the hip hop real quick. What have I been listening to? Uh, some some you could check out. Uh, so I've been listening to. If you know me, you know I love Sean Price. I think he's one of the greatest rappers of all time. Rest in peace. Uh, so Sean Price was in this group 
uh, or duo, I should say, called Helta Skelta. Uh, it was Sean Price and P-Rock. Uh, so P-Rock dropped this album. It's called Rockness AP, uh, Rockness After Price. Um, he, he put this out after Sean Price died. I'm not 100% sure of the year. I just stumbled on it on my Google Music. Um, but man, this album is, is dope, man. P-Rock is incredible, uh, incredibly lyrical. Just one of those guys that, you know, the, the industry fucks over rappers. Uh, and he's one of the guys that kind of got fucked over and, and missed his shot, if you will. Um, but man, just a, an incredible rapper. So check out that uh, Rockness AP. Uh, if you're looking for good songs on that track, I think Shine Down is probably my favorite. That's a dedication to uh, to Sean Price. Uh, Fax Machine with MOP is really dope. Camp Wu is dope. A lot of, a lot of guys from Wu-Tang on there. Uh, and the intro track, Just Rap, is like that's the first one I put on, and it was crazy. It's, man, this dude can rap. If you like people that rap, this dude can rap. Rockness AP, P-Rock, check that shit out. I appreciate you checking out this podcast and, and, and all the other podcasts that you've uh, checked out. The support means a lot. Keep the questions coming. I'm going to try to do a better job putting these out more consistently. I got a lot on my plate, um, but I'm, I'm going to do my best with it. I appreciate the support. I appreciate everyone rocking with me. Thank you. This is brought to you by Head to Head Productions. We want to thank you guys for listening. You're the only reason we exist, so keep on liking and sharing.